Hey, we're going to be in, um, thanks for praying. Uh, this, is, this is fun to be able to do, do as a family. Um, this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is uh, where we are going to be. We're continuing our series, continuing our series that we started two weeks ago entitled Everyday Discipleship. Everyday Discipleship. Um, some of you may be familiar with this word, discipleship. Some of you may not. Um, but when we look at this word, um, and we say that we are disciples of Jesus. What it means is that we are following him. It means that we are listening to the things that he says, and then it means like we're putting the things in practice that he says uh, to do. And most of us know this is about a week-long journey. Um, no, I'm just kidding. This is not a week-long journey. This is not a month-long journey. Uh, this, I mean, this is a lifelong process. This is a lifelong journey. So what we're doing here in this, in this series together, we realize, hey, we're not going to be 100% fully, fully there by the time we reach this. What we're doing is we're giving ourselves a framework, uh, a framework for what it looks like to kind of go on this journey following Jesus uh, for the rest of our lives, knowing that's, that's how long it's going to take us. So we're in our third week together. And the first five weeks, uh, we are just spending focusing on the foundation the foundation of being a disciple of Jesus, and the foundation being that personal, that personal relationship with God, that personal relationship with Jesus. In the first week, uh, we studied what it meant to, to sit at the feet of Jesus, to sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen to the words of Jesus. And last week, we spent time just processing, okay, what does it look like when we hear something? What does it look like when we have an encounter? What does it look like when we have a conversation? What does it look like when we have one of those God moments? Whether they're big, whether they're small, something happens and it kind of catches our attention. What do we, what do, we do? How do we actually put those words we hear into practice? So we talked about reflecting on those, discussing those, planning, and then acting. And this week, we're just gonna continue to lay the foundation. In the following two weeks, that's what we're gonna do. Isn't it true? Isn't it true that we love hearing from experts, um, getting to hear someone who knows everything there is to know about a certain subject um, is just kind of captivating in and of itself. When someone who, re who really knows what they're talking about, not like me, it's almost like there are magnets coming off of the words they say. Like when someone really knows what they're talking about, when they're an expert, it's like listening to a pro quarterback talk about dissecting a defense and picking the right offensive play when they are able to read the defense, an expert knowing what they're talking It's like when we were able to listen to Steve Jobs when he would give those big speeches. He was an expert on Apple products, on Apple computers. He would captivate you because he fully knew the purpose. He fully knew the point. He fully knew what it was intended to do. It's like listening to Taylor Swift talking about a really catchy song and how to, really, how to write a really catchy song that you just can't seem to shake off. Um, <laughs> It's why TED Talks, it's why TED Talks, I'm sorry, that was so lame. <laughs> but I, I just like was writing it this week, I was like, I gotta say it, it's too good. It's why, it's why TED Talks have just grown in popularity. Raise your hand if you've heard of TED Talks. Yeah, you're, you're able to just listen to experts. You're able to listen to experts talk about different things like body language and uh, the impact body language has on your life. You're able to talk about the power of vulnerability. The other day I was, literally listening to a marine biologist talk about fish, and I actually cared about what he was talking about. <laughs> like, what, what's going on? There's something powerful. Uh, there's something powerful about listening uh, to an expert. And so 
we're laying the foundation. We're looking at prayer. It's like, where do we turn to? Who do we turn to? And we're trying to figure out what, what this prayer thing is all about. We turn to the one who can answer the questions. Where do we pray? How do we pray? What is the purpose of prayer? We look to the one who knows more than anybody else. We look to Jesus. We look to the son of God, the son of the one we are actually praying to. And the cool thing about Jesus is he wasn't just a preacher of prayer. He wasn't just talking about prayer. He was a practitioner of prayer, not just a preacher, but a practitioner. Prayer was, honestly, it was just as much a part of Jesus's life as breathing in and of itself was. It was, it was infiltrated into every aspect of his ministry. Every single day, prayer was just as much a part of his life as breathing was. And I love, Tim Keller says it best. I want you to listen to this. This is what Tim Keller says about Jesus in, in his prayer. It says, Jesus Christ taught his disciples to pray healed people with prayers, denounced the corruption of the temple worship, which he said should be a house of prayer, and insisted that some demons can only be cast out through prayer. He prayed often and regularly with fervent cries and tears, and sometimes he prayed all night. The Holy Spirit came upon him and anointed him while he was praying, and he was transfigured with divine glory as he prayed. When he faced his greatest crisis, he did so with prayer. We hear him praying for his disciples and praying for the church on the night that he died and then petitioning God in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. Finally, he died praying. And so Jesus, he gives us, he gives us this incredible picture here in Matthew 6 of how to pray, of where to pray, of why we pray. It's, it's a prayer we've probably all heard before. In fact, we sang it earlier. It's a prayer that whether you have stepped inside a church building ever before or not, you maybe heard this prayer in a movie and a TV show. It's the prayer that uh, high school football teams pray on Friday night with their arms locked in the locker room before they walk out onto the field. It's probably the most uh, rehearsed prayer throughout all, uh, all of history for the last 2,000 years. And what, here's the hard thing when, when something is so repetitious and, we, and we've heard it so much is that it's hard it's hard to hear it with, with fresh ears. It's hard, it's hard to hear it sometimes as maybe it was originally intended to be heard. And so that's what I was struggling with this week and that's what I was just praying. That's what I was just praying this week. God, will you, will you allow me to hear this prayer? Will you allow me to hear these words as you intended them? Will, will these words of yours fall fresh, renew, renew my life of prayer. And that's just been my prayer for us this morning, that these words, even though we may have heard them, will they just fall, will they fall fresh upon us this morning? May we come, may we come to Jesus uh, expecting these words uh, to do something in our hearts, uh, in, in our lives. Uh, so that's, that's my hope, that's my prayer. And let's jump in. Matthew chapter six, starting in verse five. And when you pray, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, this is how you should pray. 
our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. To be honest, this was kind of a, a hard week of preparing and thinking through all of this because there, there, there's, there's so much here. I mean, we, we, we can honestly camp out here in this text for the entire rest of the year. Uh, we're not gonna do that. And so I've just been thinking, we're gonna get to a practical piece at the end. And, and my thought has just been that I can't unpack everything. What I'm hoping is God takes us each on an individual journey uh, in our own prayer time where we get to discover all the different aspects of the richness of what these words actually mean. So just calling it from the beginning, we're not gonna be able to get to everything. But what I do want us to look at is, is three things. And this is kinda how we're gonna structure uh, looking at this this morning. I wanna look at three, the place is the first thing, the place, then we're gonna look at the prayer itself, and then we're gonna look at the purpose. So the place, the prayer, and the purpose, and then we're gonna get, get to the practical. So we're gonna see Jesus, what he says about the place, where we should pray, and what, it, what happens when we go there. Then we're gonna look at the prayer, the six petitions and what they mean. And then we're gonna look at the purpose. We're gonna look at the reason, the reasons why uh, we pray. So first, let's look at the place, starting in verse six. Let's look at this place Jesus is talking about. He says, when you go to pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You can see why this prayer is sometimes referred to as the closet prayer. Uh, I think Jesus... Um, you can pray this prayer anytime. It doesn't have to be just in the closet. But what I think Jesus is getting at here is the motivating factor of, of why we pray. And this, this, was, this was really, really hard for me this week, to be honest, because I found myself asking the question, okay, how many things, how many things do I do just for God? How many things do I do just for God. So I was like sitting there and thinking about this. How many things do I do where it's just God? Only he knows about it. Whether it's words I say to him, whether it's actions I do and complete, how many things do I just keep between me and God because of the fruit that's born in that? Not my spouse, not you guys, not my neighbors, not my coworkers. How many things do I do just for God? And Jesus was like wrecking my heart this week as I was just kind of asking that question. But, but Jesus, he's not trying to make them feel bad. He's not trying to make us feel bad by this question. Not at all. Like Jesus does not use guilt as a tactic. He just, he doesn't do it. That's not, that's not who he is. I think Jesus knows something. I think this something he knows is pretty important because this is the very first thing that he ever says about prayer. So Jesus is teaching here on the side of a mountain, one of his very first sermons that he ever preaches. And this is, this is the very first thing that he says about prayer. So I think it's, it's probably pretty important. I think this is something Jesus wanted us to experience, this place, the things that happen in this place. And this is, this is who Jesus is. This is the joy of following Jesus. This is, the, this is the goodness of following Jesus. He doesn't just want us to listen to the things that he says. He wants us to participate and the things that he's already doing. So what does, Jesus, what does Jesus know about the Father? What does Jesus know about the Father that we should get away, we should close the door, and we should get to a quiet place? 
So let's unpack this place a little bit more. I think it's in this place that we begin to understand the heart of God, his father-like heart, his father-like heart for us. Jesus, if you'll notice, he says, your father. He says it three times. He says, your father, your father who is unseen, your father will reward you. Your father knows what you need. He doesn't say my father. He says your father. So the first thing, the first thing about praying in that specific place, in this specific place where it's just you and God is to meet the father. That's the first joy. We get to meet the father. His light, his love, it shines in this place. It must be the light from the Father that shines in this place where no other light is. So the atmosphere in which we pray, the atmosphere in which we pray and breathe is God's love, his infinite love. That's, that's the joy of the place. Our expert, our master, he teaches us to pray by bringing us into the Father's living presence. That's what he does, very first thing. He is unseen. He's unseen, Jesus says. Jesus knows that those who withdraw themselves from all that is of the world and of people and wait on God alone, the Father will reveal himself in those places, in those times. As we shut out the world, as we shut out all the external things in life, surrounding ourselves simply to be led by Jesus into the Father's presence. This is where the Father's love will shine down upon us. And there's something, there's something you can't fully understand until you just go there. And I think Jesus knows that. He, he can't fully explain this. I think he's experienced it and wants us to experience it as well. I can't tell you how many times that I've said, oh man, my prayer life, oh, it's, not where, it's not where I want it to be or I don't feel like I, I can pray to God. And I think our tendency sometimes is to feel maybe weak sometimes maybe to feel uh, sinful, sometimes our hearts are cold. Let's be honest, we all have been in this place. Maybe you're in this place uh, right now. There are times where it's like a lack of faith and a lack of joy. It feels like we have very, very little to pray about. And we just become discouraged by the thought um, that we can't come to the Father as we are. We're not where we need to be uh, in order to come to God in prayer. And we have to listen, we have to listen to our teacher, we have to listen to the expert here on what he says. He tells us that when we go to prayer, our first thought must be that the Father is waiting for us. He's waiting for us there in the unseen. I think Jesus is saying, hey, don't let a cold heart, don't let a faithless heart, a distracted heart keep you from the presence of the loving Father. The Lord is concerned about you in a way uh, father and mother care for their children. Um, I think what he's saying is do not think about how little you have to give to God. Don't think about how little you have to give to God, but think about how much that he wants to give to you. Just place yourself before him. Just place yourself before him. And there's, there's something to this place that Jesus is talking about, that, that Jesus is encouraging us to go. And I love that Jesus keeps going. He says, in this place, your father will reward you. Jesus, he knows that this place, this place with just you and God is a place that bears fruit. It's a, it's a place that bears fruit in a way that it spills over into other areas of your life. All we, all we do is have to entrust 
that God has our best interest when, when we go to him. And this is a hard thing. Let's just be honest. This is a hard thing. And Jesus tells us that anyone who goes to God needs to believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And there's something powerful about going in humbly, knowing the Father wants to give us all that he has. And here's the, be- here's the beauty. This does not depend upon us. The blessing, the reward of the place does not depend upon us, but it does depend upon the love and the power of the Father. Doesn't depend upon us, but it does depend upon the love and power of the Father. What, I mean, what good news? What good news for us? The reality of the place that Jesus is talking about, this quiet, this secret place with God. So when we're there, when we're there in this place with God, what do we pray? What is it that we do when we, when we go to this place? And Jesus, he keeps going, starting in verse nine. He says, our Father in heaven, he says, hallowed be your name. He's gonna teach us, teach us how it is we should pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our debts. First he says, give us today our daily bread. And then he says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I love what Andrew Murray, what he says about this prayer. I, I try to like think, okay, what does this mean? I read Andrew Murray. I'm like, I just need to describe this prayer in his own words. If you've never read him, it's a guy from the 1800s who just had this amazing radical prayer life. And this is what he says about this prayer. He says, every teacher knows the power of example. A good teacher not only tells the child what to do and how to do it, but shows how it can be done. Realizing our weakness Our heavenly teacher has given us the very words that we are to take when we draw near to the Father. It is so simple. We have in them a form of prayer that contains the freshness and fullness of eternal life. It's so simple that a child can pray it and yet so divinely rich that it encompasses all that God can give. A model and inspiration for all other prayer. It draws us at the same time back to itself as the deepest utterance of our souls before God. So I wanna just take us line by line through this prayer. Just kind of unpack maybe what it means. So our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven. I think it's really important that Jesus starts this way. And I think to fully appreciate and understand these words, we we kind of have to go back to the Old Testament up to this point. We have to understand that when they heard this, when they heard him say, our Father, they would have been dumbfounded. People did not call God Father. This was was intimate language. This was language uh, that that indicated a very close personal relationship that that Jesus had, not not other people. But Jesus, he begins this by saying, our Father in heaven. I mean, even the heroes of the Old Testament, David, Moses, all of them, they would never even think about uttering these words, "Our, our Father in heaven. And we really have to understand the importance here of this line, the significance of this line. It's only four words, our father in heaven, but they mean, they mean so much. Realizing our weakness, our heavenly father teaches us how it is that we're supposed to come to him. It's in this that we find ourselves in the midst of the most wonderful revelation. That Jesus came to make his father our father too. That's why Jesus came. To make his father our father too. 
They scream grace. They scream redemption. Christ delivers us so that we can call ourselves the children of God. So that we, with Jesus, can say, our Father in heaven. And if you hear nothing else this morning, walk away with this. Know that Jesus came, died on the cross so that you can call God Father. Just as Jesus calls him Father, you can call him Father because of what he has done. This next line, hallowed be your name, hallowed be your name. And there's something just kind of striking about these words in and of themselves, hallowed be your name. And I love, I love what Jesus is starting to do here. He's starting to reverse the order with which we typically pray. While we kind of typically pray to God in prayer, um, kind of bringing our, our own needs, kind of our own wants, the expert, the teacher, uh, the one we're following, he reverses the order. He reverses the order. Jesus knows. He says, first, your name, your kingdom, your will. Your name, your kingdom, your will. And then it's give us, lead us, deliver us. He, he knows there's something powerful about declaring the truths of God. He, he knows there's something powerful that happens when we, as his people, declare the truths about him. It's reminding us that God is bigger, that God is better, that God is greater, that he's more powerful, that he is almighty, that he is holy, that he is set apart. There's something powerful about reminding ourselves the truth about who God is. In the next line, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. The father is a king who has a kingdom. Truth. The children and heirs to a kingdom, what, what is their goal? To bring glory to the Father and his kingdom. And I was thinking about this this week, and especially during times of war, especially during times of unrest, it becomes almost a passion for people in that kingdom to worry about the kingdom of their father, to protect it, to advance it. And here's the reality. As the children of God, we are here in the midst of a battle. We are in the midst of a battle here on this earth. Heaven has not yet been fully manifested. And so it's our job, it's our role as his kids, as his heirs to the kingdom to call upon his name, to usher and bring about that kingdom here on earth. Although the kingdom is always advancing, it says that. It says the kingdom's always advancing. We're also playing a role as we call upon the kingdom to come. I think Jesus is inviting us. He's inviting us to this deep longing cry of redemption for the world. Let's be honest, we all see the world around us. We see the world around us every day. You see what's going on with Hershey. I was talking with Adam earlier and uh, he, he, he drives uh, for both Uber and Lyft and those conversations that he has sometimes are really eye-opening. Um, he was talking to me about a conversation he had with one of uh, the folks he was driving and what she had gone through has shaken him up for the past three days. And so it's like we see the broken, broken world around us. And Jesus knows this. And so he gives us something to pray when we don't know what to pray. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come in the midst of this broken world that needs redeemed. And the next line, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm not sure why this prayer 
It so often seems to be associated with the suffering of God's will. But one of the things I was discovering this week is I was just kind of asking, okay, what's the will of God? What's the will of God? I was discovering that the will of God is the glory of heaven. The will of God is the glory of heaven. And doing his will brings about the blessings of heaven. Doing his will brings about the blessings of heaven. And as his will is done, the kingdom not only comes to earth, but I think it comes into our hearts as well. And this is a process, and it's not perfect. But this is our prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then these next three things, he he knows how weak we are. He knows what we need. So he says, give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Give me, God, just give me just what I need to make it through today. And I think this, I think this says a lot about God. I think this says a lot about our Father in heaven. He doesn't want to just drop off a week's worth of supplies. Like, he doesn't want to just drop off a month's load of supplies, a year load of supplies. He says, no, 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 I want to, I want to hear from you every day. Not only do I want to hear from you every day, I want to give you exactly what you need every day. He wants to be our provider daily. And Jesus knows, he knows we need this realigning prayer. He knows we need this prayer every day. So he said, come to your father every day. And what, what comfort, this has been like the most comforting part of this prayer for me this week. Because my tendency is to worry. <laughs> my tendency is to think way farther than what I need just just for today. Honestly, I texted Brandon last night and I was like, dude, I do not feel good. I'm not prepared. He's like, and he sends me this great Jesus juke text and he's like, hey, daily bread, daily bread. God is gonna give you just what you need for tomorrow. He's not gonna give it you today. He's gonna give you just what you need for tomorrow. I didn't really tell him Jesus juke, but that's a little bit how I felt. Next line, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I I was reminded this week, just like food is what we need for the body, forgiveness is what we need for the soul. Forgiveness is what we need for the soul. And we owe our right of access to the Father, like we were talking before. We owe our right of passage, their ability to speak with God because of Jesus's forgiveness. So there is great power in not only understanding your own forgiveness, but there is great power and forgiving those around you. And I think Jesus knows this. He puts this in here as something we need to pray every single day. And I think Jesus knows that we can't force forgiveness. And so that's where the power comes. It's understanding our own forgiveness that gives us the power to forgive others around us. How easy is it to forgive someone who's gone through the same thing that you've gone through, whether that's addiction or divorce or you name it, something you've gone through, how much easier is it to forgive someone when you've gone through the same thing? And this last line, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Maybe a better way, this line was kind of hard for me, and so I actually had to study it a lot. I was like, what does it mean to lead us not into temptation? Um, And studying back to the original language, you kind of understand a better way of understanding this now in our context is, God, help us not to fall into temptation. God, protect us from the enemy. Just yet another reminder, hey, we are weak and we are in need of the Father. Hey, God, we rely on you, not only for our food, not only for forgiveness, but we rely on you for protection to deliver us. And so 
We looked at the place. We've looked at the power of the place. What happens when we're there? We've looked at the prayer that we can take with us when we go to this place. And now looking at the purpose. And this honestly is one that has so many answers that we could be here all day. So I'm just gonna shorten it down to transformation, the purpose, transformation. I think Jesus knows that if we go to this place of prayer, if we go to this place of prayer and we pray this and we pray these things, transformation will come. What does Jesus know? He knows that it really does change us. He believes that it really does change us and it changes the world around us. Jesus does not give us things to do just to kill time. Our hearts uh, don't need something else just to do. I think he understands it when we get to this place and we pray this prayer, our heartbeat, our heartbeat slowly starts to beat a little more to the heartbeat of God and less to our own. Our steps maybe start walking less on our own steps and maybe more in step with the spirit. Transformation begins to happen. You look at Ephesians 6, 12, it says, battle, the battle, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's not just something within us, it's something going on around us. And this prayer, in this place, actually changes things. Some we can see, some we can't. Some he answers in ways that we want him to, and other ways he doesn't, but there is a transformation that happens both in us and in the world around us that happens when we go to this place and we pray this prayer. I'm almost done, y'all. I'm almost done. So when we started this, we kind of said, okay, Sundays are great and we come here and we gather, but what do we do on Monday mornings? That's kind of the question we started with when we started the series. Okay, what do we do on Monday morning with where we were at the day before? And so I literally want to take what I've been saying. I want us to pick a place. I want us to pray the prayer. And I want us to note the purpose, note the transformation. So this week, this is what I'm going to do. And this is what I'm going to invite you to do is pick a place, pick a time, pick a specific location that you are going to spend in prayer. Uh, don't be legalistic if it has to change from day to day. That's, that's cool. That's not the idea. But specifically, pick a place where no one else knows that you're praying, where it's just you and it's just God. Pick a place. And then when you go there, I want you to pray this prayer. Bring this with you. If you want to memorize it, memorize it. If you haven't memorized, great. If you don't, take a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can take one of the Bibles around the room and take this with you and pray this prayer. But my encouragement to you is sit in it, rest in it. Don't allow it to be a transaction happening. Really meditate on the words and what Jesus is inviting us to pray. If you want to change the lines, if these words maybe don't resonate with you, change these words to make them, to make them your own. And the third, I want you to take note of the transformation, the purpose. This is something I, I, I'm not very good at, um, of actually noting the way God is working in my life. And so I want you to pen, paper, have, have something. It can be your phone. Take note of the transformation you see occurring this week. And here's the thing about God. It doesn't always happen on our, on our time in the way that we think it should. So you may get to the end of the week and think, I don't see any transformation that happened. 
That's okay. Time. Continue to come back to this place. Continue to pray this prayer. Jesus tells us our Father will reward us. There's no question about that. Y'all, y'all, y'all cool with doing that? Is that, yeah, awesome. I lo- I, man, I'm excited about this. I love that we're gonna continue to come back week after week and have something to do together. And so as we get ready to take communion, um, if you aren't a follower of Jesus, one, you're so welcome here. I, I'm so glad you're here, and I really mean that. If you have questions, if you want prayer yourself and you don't know how to pray, there's gonna be a team of us in the back at the Respond Banner. We'd love to pray with you. Um, As we take communion, this is something we do. We come to the body, we come to the blood of Jesus, and we take this. I just wanna invite you to ask a question with with folks you're with. Um, What's what's the part of this prayer that most resonates with you right now, with where you're at, with what you're going through in life? What part of this prayer most resonates with you, just to give you something to talk about and pray about? So let's let's stand together. I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna go take communion together this morning.